We looked last week at this idea that there is life everywhere. And we looked at um, a picture of a train car with some prisoners inside and a little child reaching through and feeding some birds. And just they were there was life even in prison. There can be life. And and so we're looking at that. And, and let me read some verses. Let me read four verses to kick, kick us off here. Four verses that I read last week. I kind of read them in order here. First John 3, 14. It says, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. John 5, 24, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death to life. 1 Peter 1.18, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. And again, I, let me read this again in the NLT like I did last time. It says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from your empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And he, it wasn't paid with silver and gold that will, that will lose their value. And then the very familiar scripture of John 10, 10, the thief cometh not but to steal, to kill and destroy. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life. That's good enough. But then he goes on and says, and that you might have it more abundantly. So it would seem that if we're saved simply to get us to heaven, as soon as we're saved, we'd take a Elijah cart up to heaven, the whirlwind. We just, we just be go. We would just go. If that's the only reason, as soon as we're saved, we'd go to heaven. But we are here on this planet, left here for many reasons, to tell others about Jesus, to help, to praise God, to glorify him, to have an abundant life. That's what he has promised to us. I, I know last week I ended with talking about Jesus taking a nap and getting away from the crowd and going to a wedding party. And then I asked about it. And then I asked you if any of that was spiritual. And I said, if you want to tell Jesus he's not spiritual, be my guest. But he did all those things. And so I posed the question doesn't Jesus care about spirituality? Didn't he come to make us more spiritual? And I think our answer would readily be absolutely yes. He does care about our spiritual man. He does want us to be closer to him and be more like him. But what's the purpose of my spirituality? What does, what does that look like? What does that in, encompass? So it, it's simply... Uh, and if it is like this, if it's simply to fight like crazy to remain spiritual until we get to heaven and God takes us home, that's, that's a pretty bad setup. I know of some people that their idea of living for God is, I'm, it, it is a fight from the second they get up till they go to bed. It's just, I'm going to live for the Lord. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to live for the Lord. It's just like, all righty. I'm glad you're determined, but I, I hope we don't have that much problem living for God. 
He has given us the power of his spirit to help us overcome. He's given, he walks with us, he's with us along the way. And, and if it's simply just to, to wake up, to fight like crazy, to try to stay spiritual, and then someday we'll die and go to heaven. That's, that's a rough life. That's not, to me, that's not an abundant life. Uh, little rabbit trail, and it is a rabbit trail because I just thought of it. It's not in my notes, so this one is a rabbit trail. But you know, he says you can have peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. If I'm worrying incessantly, that's not peaceful. If I'm depressed constantly, that's not joyful. So he said, he said, I can have these things. He said, I can have abundant life. So again, if you believe being spiritual is, is just for the simple fact of, like I, I said, going to heaven, then, then why are we here? What is our purpose here on earth? Jesus has not come to make us non-human. He has come to give us abundant life while we are here. If I'm experiencing deeper prayer times, but not deeply relishing sunsets. If I'm involved in my church, but not my community. If I'm worshiping God, but slandering people. If I'm saying amen to sermons, but not saying awesome for being made in the image of God, maybe something's missing. Maybe I'm truly not understanding what Jesus has done in my life. When God brings us from death to life, as those scriptures bared out that I just read, that we, we call it, we are born again, old things are passed away. Okay? Doesn't mean I'm human, a human being has passed away, folks. I'm still here, and I was baptized. But old things are passed away. It's talking about old philosophies and sinful habits, and idols, and things that I put in my life before God. They're passed away. We now rise to walk in a brand new life. Maybe we can say it like this. It's a brand new way of being a human. <laughs> the me first mentality passes away. The my way or the highway stubbornness is washed away. The my will be done is left in the baptismal waters. My spirituality isn't something to be developed in a vacuum. It isn't something that's an isolated compartment of my life. It is the central part of who I am. And I guess I could say it again, cue Pastor Saucer Sermon again from a few Sundays ago. We don't take the hat off and put, be, put the spiritual hat on at church and then put the human hat on when I go to work. We don't put the spiritual hat on on Wednesdays and then put the, the physical or whatever hat on when we go home. That is not how this works. We are spiritual. That's what we're called to be. We are still in the flesh. We are human, absolutely. But the thing about this is, this is not just trade-offs where sometimes I think we think that at church we're spiritual and nowhere else we are. Everywhere we've got to be spiritual. Everywhere we've got to be a Christian. Everywhere old man has passed away. Everything becomes new. When Jesus walked this earth, it, were, it was the outcasts. 
it was the party crowd. It was the low lives, as some of them would say, that were drawn to him. It was not the religious people. They didn't like him. Those common people, can we call them that for a moment? They were looking for someone who modeled the real deal to them, was just like them, but he had the spiritual component, if that makes sense. They were not looking from some sort of fabricated religion or compartmentalized spirituality. They, they, they weren't looking for walking around in clothes and, and fine clothes and, and looking down on people while never lifting a finger to help someone. That's not what they were looking for. But that's what they had in the religious people back then. Here was Jesus who would do life with them. So much so, Jesus was accused of being a drunkard, a glutton. Again, I don't want to assume too much, but these people were out to get him, so they were going to name call whatever they had, whatever they wanted to do. However, I'm going to have to say, and I'm going to have to contend, that he was at enough house parties and cookouts that they called him that. They called him a glutton. They called him a drunker. I, I think Jesus went around to those things, some community dinners. He rubbed shoulders with some of the forgotten of society. And that was just more than they could handle. That was just more than they could, could, they could bear. How could this man be spiritual yet hang out with these common sinners and they could not get that through their head. We, we believe Jesus was fully God. And we believe Jesus was fully man. That fully man part means he was fully human. The Bible says in all points tempted like we are yet without sin. He was fully human, living completely as a human being. So, so, so let me, again, let me, let me push this a little bit. Adam and Eve were created, and they were fully human. They did human stuff. They walked and talked with God. God spoke to Adam and said, I want you to tend the garden, and I want you to name the animals. He didn't say, I want you to preach a sermon, and I want you to teach Sunday school. God said, I want you to work and tend the garden. I want you to do some things and have dominion, name the animals. God himself told Adam to do it. So I would argue that was spiritual. He was doing the work of the Lord by keeping the garden and naming the animals. You agree with that? That's what the Bible says God told him to do. When sin entered, something was broken. Something was missing. When Jesus came, the Bible says in the New Testament, the second Adam, he came to repair what was broken. He came to fix what was and bring what was missing. Maybe we can look at it like this. Can we... Can we 
I hate this word, but maybe I could say sin dehumanizes us. Sin hijacks our humanity from its original fulfilling God-glorifying purpose. This salvation experience that we have is meant to free us to be, and can I say, be fully human is what it's freeing us to become. Again, I'm walking carefully because I don't want to be misunderstood that I'm trying to glorify the flesh and we're a bunch of humanistic people and live for yourself. I'm not trying to do that, nor am I trying to, on the other side, whatever you do, grit your teeth and don't ever smile. Because if you smile, it's not spiritual. Whatever you do, don't have a birthday party because it ain't any spiritual. I don't want to lean that way either because I don't believe that's what the Scripture is telling us to do or not to do. My humanity needs to be unshackled from sin so that I can glorify God in both my physical and my spiritual. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you ready for this? For you're bought with a price. Thank God for that. Therefore, because of that, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He has redeemed, he has bought us with a price, and we are to glorify God with everything that we possibly can. And that's why, folks, we, we are to praise him with everything that's within us, with every way possible that we can. And I know, and I'm trying to be careful because I'm on that border getting to be the old guy, but I'm trying to be careful here. But I have a feeling that if David, he was nowadays in this, he would say glorify him with the organ, glorify him with the sound system, glorify him with the lights, glorify him with the LED screen, glorify him with music, glorify him any possible way. Let everything that hath breath glorify him. So everything I do, I want it to bring glory to him. When I mow a yard, I want it to bring glory to him. I want him to be pleased with how I do everything in my life. Let's go back to John 10, 10. Okay, I'll be careful here because there are scholars in the building. <laughs> the Greek word for abundant is, starts with a P and ends with an S. That's good enough. Uh, it means exceeding or going beyond the ordinary is what this is talking about when it says, I'll give you abundant life. It's, so Jesus is talking about doing life in a way that goes beyond what is normally experienced by human beings. It is beyond the ordinary. So God's purpose for creating us has not changed his original blueprint doesn't need to be improved or modified. It simply needs to be restored. He has come and purchased us with his blood so that we can have life, so that we can come from death to life, so that we can fully live in who we're supposed to be and who he's created us to be. So to be fully human, that spiritual and that physical, it's not compartmentalized. You cannot, again, come to church and go to work and I'm spiritual here and carnal. That's not how this works. Because religion, if we're just going to be a bunch of religious people, that idolizes the spiritual. That's all it cares about, the spiritual. 
And secular, all that does is idolize the humanity or the humanness or the physical. So we have to take that boundary down. We, we live our lives integrated in both the physical and the spiritual level. I, I, let, me, let me ask you this question, push so harder on this. When were Adam and Eve spiritual? When were Adam and Eve spiritual? I would submit that before the fall, always, they were made in the image of God. They walked and talked with God. God gave them directions of what to do. They lived in a beautiful garden. They talked with, that, that's, the, I think, always. I think at all times they were in the, they were physical, yes, but I think they were spiritual beings. I think they were spiritual. They didn't have to become less human in order to be closer to God. We think sometimes, we'd ask this question, you know, I remember Sunday school. If Jesus knocked on your house door and came inside, would you have to tear, would you have to hide stuff? Would you have to put stuff away? And the answer for some of us is probably yes. But that has nothing to do with our human physicalness. That has to do with our old nature coming through that we need to crucify every day. So he's not trying to dehumanize us. They didn't have to become less human in order to be closer to God. The physical and the spiritual should fuel each other. The, rate, the way I relate to God should enhance the enthusiasm with which I appreciate a sunset. It should fuel one another. It should, it, it should enhance my, my way that I interact with God and my enthusiasm for God should affect how I taste a piece of pie. And yes, there have been some that's been very spiritual experiences. But it should affect how I look at the world around me. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. The heavens declare the glory of God. So when I go out there and see the majesties of the heaven and the sunset, I ought to get grumpy. No, it ought to trigger something spiritual in me because I've seen something with my human eyes that triggers something in me that says, there is a God who loves me. Everything around us from serving at a soup kitchen to enjoying a sports event, to grieving more authentically, to laughing more deeply, to tasting chocolate, to, to celebrating a milestone at work, to reflect about a historical event, to conversing with a friend about life and God in a medical appointment. Those should all be in a way in which we engage with humanity, but also engage with God at the same time. Again, contrary to some, the more healthy we become in our spirituality, the more, not less, of our humanity we experience. The closer I get to God, the better my life is. The closer I get to God, the more I like you people. 
The closer I get to God, the prettier my wife is. Folks, you cannot take these apart. And we wonder sometimes. Pastor Council is going to have to come get me in a minute. Why we get grumpy and grouchy and everything's blue? Because we don't have a spiritual experience with God. Get our spirituality right, and I promise you a whole lot of stuff in your life starts straightening out. I'm going to be old school. You probably, and I'm not, again, I'm a counselor. You understand that? You may not need a counseling session. You may need an altar. I don't mind counseling people, but I prefer your prayed through first. I told you that. Some of my church moms ticked me off. As a little kid, I'd be mouthing, doing something. You need to pray through. They weren't wrong. I didn't like to hear that. How'd they know I needed to pray through? Because my physical man was out of control. And I needed more of God. You, you may have never thought about it, but the more healthy you are spiritual, the more you enjoy life. When we come out of a powerful church service and God has touched us and we have basked in his presence, I was thinking today, I don't remember one time on the way home coming out of a powerful church service, me and Janelle got in a fight. Have we ever fought? No, lands have mercy. Anyway, but do you understand what I'm saying here? That there's something that interacts with our spiritual man. That's why I get just aggravated. People say, well, you know, it's just a bunch of emotion. I understand what they're trying to say, that that's all it is. But yes, it's emotional. Get up here and start proclaiming and preaching the word of God and see if you don't jiggle and kick your leg a little bit. Because something in the spirit, man, attaches to the physical man, and there's a reaction when that happens. How do you know you got the Holy Ghost? You will speak in another language as he gives the utterance. That's a physical act. But it's on the spiritual. You understand what I'm getting here. These are interacted and intertwined together. You can't take them apart. So you want to have a good friendship? Get more spiritual. You want to laugh more? Get more spiritual. You want to have a good marriage? Get more spiritual. You want to be a better parent? Get more spiritual. You want to be happier? Get more spiritual. Can we flip it? You want to have a better church service experience on Sunday? Quit fighting with your family on Saturday. You want to be a witness to your extended family who don't know truth? Be the life of the party the next time you go out with them. You want to make an impact in your neighborhood and community for Jesus? Get involved with your neighborhood and community for Jesus. You want your kids to live for Jesus? Show them it's a wonderful life living for God. Don't tell me that you can compartmentalize this stuff. David, the second king of Israel, I believe he was a man who wholly 
fully engaged with his humanity. He was a worshiper and a warrior, a poet, a leader, a dancer, a teacher, a party lover, a businessman, a hunter, a musician. He was passionate, reflective, prayerful. He was courageous. He knew heartbreaking failure firsthand. He also knew God glorifying victory firsthand. He experienced God's blessings, intimacy with God. He experienced God's discipline, his God's grace, and he was a man after God's own heart. We need to allow Jesus to breathe his vision of truly living into us and free us from what's holding us back from being fully human. Allow Jesus to redeem us from the vain conversation or the Bible says that empty life according to 1 Peter 1.18. That way of doing life keeps us from really living to his glory and experiencing abundant life. There was a woman in the Bible that got married. I'm sure like many people, she married the right one. This was the guy. He was the guy that would fulfill her dreams, but when it didn't turn out, great disappointment set in. This lady in the Bible we read about, she moved on past that guy with all these same longings she had in tow. Then a second marriage proposal arrived, and she was, she was excited. Hope rose from the ashes. Surely this is the one. But it didn't work out. Neither did the third husband. Neither did the fourth husband. Neither did the fifth husband. Persistence had not paid off. Year after year, husband after husband. Over time, I'm sure she just was numb disappointment piled up like bricks around her and her soul was imprisoned. She didn't give up completely on men because she kind of gave up on marriage though because now she was just living with a guy. We're not talking about Hollywood culture 2023. We're talking about Bible days. Married and divorced five times or had five husbands, some of them could have passed, but five, and now she was just, my old pastor used to say, we don't call it that, we call it shack it up. And it's like, okay. Tame it down. I'm sure she feared that one little misstep and her heart was literally going to shatter. She's tired, had very little hope left. The day probably started like any other day during doing chores while her heart ached with longing and she, she waited until midday to head to get some water because she was hoping, oh sure that was the hottest part of the day, but she was hoping that some of the town gossips and some of the people that would look down their nose on her wasn't there. She didn't want to hear it. She didn't want to endure the looks. But as she approached that, she was highly disappointed to see that there was somebody there. And then as she got closer, it was a man. But then as she got closer, it was a Jewish man, no less. In her world, men looked down and diminished women. And Jews despised Samaritans. 
she had to be very shocked when this man spoke to her. You know the story well. Let me pause there to talk a moment about this longing that she had. A longing or a desire or an ache, a yearning, a a soul thirst or a heart hunger. That deep longing for something. God made us much different than the animals. One significant way is that we long for something greater than just to survive. Just go through the motions. Just hope you can make it another day. There's a longing. Whether they can be fulfilled or met are, not, are, are, are central to our identity of, of who we are. Even though our longings are unique to every single one of us, we have different ones. They share somewhat, can we say, a common DNA. And that simply is a desire for something greater in life. A longing for something. So maybe we need to look at what we long for. What is it? And yes, to let you in on this, we're getting ready to go into group therapy. Here we go. Hang on. What is it that I deeply desire? What got me out of bed this morning? What am I aiming at in my life? What kept me awake last night? What am I longing for? What do I really want? Here's the thing. Core longings are not necessarily bad. I think it's part of who we are as humans. What I do with them and how I fulfill them, that can be bad and that can be sinful. Those longings that we could call them are how we're wired. It's God created us this way. Instead of minimizing them, I probably need to maybe start listening to them. Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the what? The longings of your heart. My longing connects with my identity and my purpose as a human being. My longings for significance or for security or for peace indicate that I'm wired to be able to experience that. I've talked to people before and they will just, with tears running down their face, they said, I just want peace. There is a longing coming out from inside of them. But whether I will or not experience that is another issue. Every one of our stories are Our lives are all going again in different directions and they're going to be different, but we all are going to have an ache, a longing inside of us. So often, even though our longings are powerful, this is where sometimes we're just so focused on sheer survival. Just get through another day. We're so focused on stress management. We're just so focused on just hanging on. Oh, if I can get these kids raised. Oh, God have mercy. Just barely making it. Just enough to get through another day. Or even those longings are, are, we distract ourselves with just superficial things. We don't stop 
and actually evaluate our longings. Too often, people see Jesus as some religious figure, just some figure or a potential ticket to get to heaven. We can't miss the fact that Jesus came to us. He came here. We cannot miss that Jesus is the one who can address our longings like no other can. The problem is sometimes we're scrambling around trying to satisfy a life-size longing with trivial pursuits. Money won't work. Fame won't work. Being the best, fill in the blank, won't work. None of that will work. Sometimes we find ourselves all doing it. We, we try to fulfill our biggest longings with temporary distractions or short-term medications or half-baked endeavors. Or maybe we just give up. Live a hopeless, helpless life. We, we have no hope our longings ever will be met. So we settle for a mere life of existence. Just going through the motions. It's a very powerful moment when we finally stop being too easily pleased and admit that small pursuits aren't enough to address my deepest longings. Sometimes it takes us putting on the brakes and realizing I need to think about something here. I need to quit being in such a hurry. I think I hear a verse that says, be still and know that I am God. Put the phone down, put the distractions down, turn the radio off and sit real quiet. I, I know that all this Middle Eastern stuff and they get make it all spooky and mysticism and all this. Do you know the Bible is full of meditation? That is a powerful tool. Do you know why some of you won't be still? Because we don't want to hear what God has to say to us. And we run with distractions. And oh, in this country, it's easy to get distracted. We have every gadget in the world to distract us. There's stuff going on constantly. Jesus asked this woman at the well for a drink. She pushes back. Why in the world are you, a Samaritan, a man, even talking to me? He didn't get distracted. He stayed on topic for what he mattered most, he said, if you knew who was asking you for a drink, you'd ask me for a drink of living water. Woman doesn't get it. Jesus speaking to her about her thirst, her longings. Maybe this woman had been longing for security or significance or feelings, some sort of being alive and being human. All along thinking that a man was going to be the key to fulfill those. It was going to be the answer. <laughs> understand, I'm going to, okay. We have to understand, we are, sometimes we put people, we have certain longings, 
and we put stock in them and we have great expectations in them that they are going to fulfill a deep lifelong desire in you. And that's a recipe for disaster. We get hostile towards our spouse and aggravated at our boss and upset at the pastor and all of these things because we're not fulfilled. No human being can fulfill what you truly need down inside of you. Yet we try to do this. So Jesus is pushing back on this and he knew this woman had been through all these Jesus was introducing the notion that actually she was needing something else. She did not need another man. There was no man created that was going to fulfill the deep longing in her heart. It's something only he can give, something he calls living water. The question is whether or not she'll engage with her true longings and drink the water he's offering. So Jesus kept at it. He wanted her to understand what her true longings were and how to fulfill them. So this is why it seems like a change of subject. He's talking about living while all the seven, and he goes, go get your husband. What's, why did she need to go get her husband? She said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you're exactly right. You've had five husbands, the guy you're living with. The next guy, the sixth guy you're just living with. Watch very carefully. Jesus was not doing that to condemn her. To call her out and air her dirty laundry. You need to repent. He was not doing it for that person, for that reason. He was doing that to try to get her to understand, wow, I've been through five husbands and none of it worked. And now I'm on the sixth guy, too scared to marry, and it ain't working either. He was trying to get her to see that men and marriage was not what she was truly longing for. So a moment, let's look at our lives here real quickly as I, I wind this down. What endeavors of mine need to be exposed? What pursuits have I been relying on to deliver more than they're capable of? We all have hobbies. We all have pursuits. Again, please don't read into this. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. But sometimes we spend so much of our time trying to have the latest and greatest to prove to everybody we're a somebody. It will never work. We go from this to that to this to that. What are you trying to fulfill? What is your heart longing for that you're trying to fill with something else? Work, hobbies, sports, addictions, eating, art, relationships, politics, church, stealing, volunteering, parenting, fame, religion, drinking, vacation, shopping, collecting, making money, spending money, giving money, success, boyfriend, girlfriend, social causes, selfish causes, some things good, some things bad. They all pile up and what do we have? Nothing but still a longing in our heart. With every pursuit, whether we realize it or not, we treat it as a sort of restaurant where deeper hungers will hopefully be satisfied. 
So beneath the surface, we, we actually say, I'm hungry for X. So I'll eat at this restaurant called Y. Starving for taco. So I'm going to Pizza Hut. That's what we're doing. There's a longing. There's a pursuit. We turn to a particular pursuit to satisfy something we perceive is offered on its menu. I'm hungry for security, so I'll eat at this restaurant called marriage. I'm thirsty for significance, so I'll drink at this pub called career. And we could go on and on and on. I'll quit there, I'm out of time, but I want you to really ask Jesus to uncover some things in your heart. Why do you get panicked? Again, I'm, I'm, trust me, I'm speaking to myself. When something doesn't go quite right, is it because you long for control? Is it because you long for significance? You long, what are you truly longing for? Last thing, many times people come for counseling, and I'll, I'll use this, and they will say something like, I get, oh, I'm just, I've had it. I'm leaving my spouse because they leave, the, they leave the towel on the bathroom floor. That's a symptom. We got to find the source. The source is you probably feel disrespected. You probably feel like I'm just, I'm just a, uh, not even hired labor around this house. You may see what I'm saying. So there's a lot of symptoms. I ask you, what's the source? What are you looking for? And there's an old song that says, only Jesus can satisfy your soul. Have hobbies, wonderful. Get wealthy, wonderful. Pay the church off. But if that's what you're looking for to fill the longing... I got bad news for you. It will never happen. But I have great news for you. It's as easy as turning your life and committing and turning everything over to Jesus. He has promised life and abundant life. Stand in this place with me, would you? Pray together. Lord, we thank you and we trust in you. Lord, I pray that you would help us Lord, not to just live a life, go through the motions, but to fully come alive. It's what you have promised to us, Lord. It's what you have given to us through the power of the Holy Ghost. I pray that you would help us to depend more on you. When, when things are happening and we come unnerved or, we get, or, or we're just constantly dissatisfied and looking pursuit after next pursuit, Lord, help us to get in your presence and be quiet a minute and speak to us, Lord. Reveal to us a true longing, where that's coming from in our spirit and what needs to happen to change in our hearts. Lord, I want to be more like you. 
Jesus, I know as we, we go through these lessons that sometimes they're hard, but I know that if we align ourselves with your word and what you have for us, great things are in store for us. Great things are in store for this church. Mighty things will happen because that's what you've given and promised to us, oh God. Bless each one, I pray. Let us have a great evening in you. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.